Hi, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Pre-Health Podcast, hosted by Pre-Health Advising at Penn State. Uh, this is a really exciting episode. We are, have a guest in the studio today who is the director of the Office of Science Engagement, is a wonderful partner to our office, and helps students, specifically in the Eberly College of Science, access really great research opportunities, which we know for competitive applications into the health professions can be incredibly important for a lot of our applicants. Not essential for everyone, but a really core part of many of our students' applications. So if that applies to you, research sounds interesting, engaging, maybe you want to find other ways to get engaged, this is going to be a great episode for you this week on the Pre-Health Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Pre-Health Podcast, the show to help all pre-health students on their journeys to acceptance. I am this episode's host, John Moses Bronson. As is my preference, I am joined in the studio by my co-host, Kimberly Johnson. Good morning, John. It's so nice to have you today Likewise, and be back in the you. studio. Uh, we are also very excited to have a very special guest, Dr. Tiffany Matthews, the director of the Office of Science Engagement. And I think it's probably best to start off with you telling us a bit about yourself, how you got to this point in your career, where you're from, what you have for breakfast. You don't have to say that, but, you know, just bring us up to speed on who you are in the world. Well, good morning, John and Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me here on the podcast today. Um, so a little bit about myself. Um, I'm actually going to start a little bit with my undergrad story. Great. I think because this highlights my passion for undergraduate research. Um, so um, when I started college, I was a biochemistry major and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Pre-health pre was on there. I went to a lot of the pre-health things that my school mm -hmm. offered, um, looked at pre-dental, pre-med. Um, but as I got into the science courses, realized it was the science and the behind the scenes that I really mm -hmm. wanted to be part of. Um, and then funny story, when I took organic chemistry, you do not hear this often. I was taking O-chem and biochem, and um, I loved O-chem, and I couldn't hack the biochem. Mm. So I talked to my organic professor and made the switch, um, which was pretty scary. Um, <laughs> to, from biochemistry to chemistry, they were in two separate schools, so I had some different changes. It was all in the same undergrad, but, Yeah, that's you know. interesting, though. Yeah. But that was a split that they That made. was a split, yeah. Our biochem was under our medical school or our pre-health Oh, so yes, that's interesting. Yes, that's a separate conversation, <laughs> a separate but I would story. like to pick that apart. <laughs> um, but after I switched to chemistry in my third year, um, I love telling this story. I was taking all my chem classes as an analytical chemistry and a professor comes in and says, we're starting something new. I want to do internships. If you're interested, email me. Not much details. I didn't know. I'm new to chemistry. I don't know what's happening with that. So I was like, all right. I emailed him, me and another student both emailed him. And we both got these internships at a paint company. I didn't even know chemistry and paint mixed. They do. <laughs> That's a good pun. <laughs> I've got a few more. <laughs> um, but when I was synthesizing paint, um, it was not fun. Mm. Um, I was not good at it. Um, but what I realized, what I really liked was interacting with all the people characterizing the paint. Okay. Um, so that kind of started like a trajectory. Um, but when I came back to, I was still, when I did that internship, it was, I was in school full time and doing like 10 to 12 hours. So it was like an undergraduate research experience, yeah. but it was off campus. Cool. Um, and then when I came back, I'm like, well, maybe the synthesis didn't work because it wasn't bio enough. I still really wanted to keep that bio part going on. So I worked in a bio inorganic lab. So that was making organic compounds that we were going to connect to metals that we were going to eventually use for target therapeutics for cancer and things like that. That's fascinating. Yeah, I wasn't good. That's a, at least the question was interesting. <laughs> yes, yes. The quest was, yes, it was very interesting. But once again, I found myself always talking to the people, analyzing the compounds, um, and once again, recognizing that 
not so good at this, even though I wrote my personal statements, my grad school application, Mm -hmm. all on organic synthesis and wanting to go to grad school for organic chemistry. So I joked that I had like a 20-something midlife crisis between undergrad and grad. I didn't take a break, so I was going right into grad school here at Penn State in the chemistry department. And I thought about those experiences. I used that summer as a time to reflect. So mm-hmm. you, you'll often hear me say that, like reflect, think about those experiences you had. What did you like? What didn't you like? Because you can start to hone your, your journey mm-hmm. from that. And I was like, you know what? I like bio. I really want to get to the bio part. But I think I need instruments. I need analytical. I need a number. I need a yes or a no at the end of the day. Like I, I need it to be quantitative. Um and then I joined a bioanalytical chemistry lab, which is a fancy way of saying I did neurochemistry. So all of a sudden, I was doing stereotaxic surgeries on mice, putting little probes in their brain, and measuring the neurotransmitter serotonin through high-performance liquid chromatography and electrochemical detection. So fell in love, found my passion, yeah. neurochemistry. Um, after I graduated with my PhD, went to Wake Forest, their school of medicine, mm-hmm. didn't realize school of medicines had departments, mm-hmm. um, PhD departments as well, and mm-hmm. worked in an amazing lab using another electrochemistry technique called fast scan cyclic voltammetry to measure their neurotransmitter dopamine. Um, and I looked at this in alcohol models of mice, rats, and monkeys. So <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> Thanks. The I, things you can study is well, and also like how many amazing things have probably come out of the research of that lab. How much more do we know about the world because of that work? It's my favorite thing about when students tell me about their research. I'm like, I now know more about the world and I know a small piece of what you know. <laughs> Well, and you were involved in such radically different things before you started to hone in on what you actually enjoyed. Yes. Yeah. And I like to tell that story because, right, my first research wasn't my passion, even though I was good at a class with it. Um, And so I want students to know it's okay to to fail and figure it out in the research lab. There's no grade, Mm -hmm. right? There's no answer at that back of the book when we're doing research. I didn't know my experiments in those synthetic labs were going to fail, right? Mm -hmm. But then it taught me something I need to know about myself. Like, failure is okay, but I also was like, I need a number at the end of the day. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Yeah, it's one thing to love something conceptually. You loved the concepts of organic chemistry, but Mm -hmm. the application was not aligning with perhaps what you had anticipated about the really the same way in undergrad you know my undergrads in marketing spoiler alert I don't do classical marketing right but I loved it all conceptually but it was the application that I had a problem with I didn't like it in the real business world I use marketing concepts constantly in my work now but I love this application of it and so I think that's an important thing to remember because I think a lot of students are like, I'll find one research experience and then it'll be done. But it's more like dating. <laughs> and it's okay to date multiple people. <laughs> well, I, I think what we see often in pre-meds, pre-dents, et cetera, they're looking to check that box. Mm -hmm. And we also talk to them about research not always being about the question being pursued Mm -hmm. in that particular lab, but it being about the skills gained. Um, And those Mm -hmm. skills are not just located in science, their communication skills, their leadership, all those different things that they're kind of putting into practice daily when they're a part of a lab. Yeah, those reflection skills, which you talked about, so because we talk about that constantly. Reflection and teamwork. Teamwork. Because science is not done in a vacuum. It is, Mm -hmm. it takes a team. I know, Mm -hmm. like, this is Nobel Prize Week and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, and we think that it's just these two or three people, but it really, it's that saying, it takes a village. It takes a group of people to make these discoveries. And working in a team is very valuable. Or understanding what are the things you like about working in a team and what are the things that maybe you need improvement on? Because I'm sure medicine, I know medicine's the same way. I've seen it when I've been in the hospital and things like that. It's not one person taking care of me. And I... I, want, I know that you were like mid-thought too. Do you want to wrap that thought up? 
Well, I'm just thinking, you know, they go in to check this box of research and they're not always pursuing a topic that is of highest interest to them. Mm-hmm. But I th- it's interesting because they get pulled into the process. Mm-hmm. And so we try to emphasize that it's not just about the topic at hand. It's about the process. Mm-hmm. And each time you were had these different experiences, you were learning more about the process and learning which parts of the process you wanted to be a part of mm-hmm. and which parts you were going to leave to someone else. <laughs> and that helps them hone in on maybe the part of the process that I want to be a part of is actually the, we'll say, quote unquote, behind the scenes part rather than the patient forward facing element. Mm-hmm. And that is a great discovery to make before you get to medical school <laughs> rather than once you're there. It's yes. a very expensive lesson to learn at that point. Or you end up being miserable for a considerable part of your life. And that's like just not a situation I want a student to find themselves in. Or you understand how you can merge those two interests that you have. Because not all doctors work just with patients. And not all researchers work just in the lab. There is a lot of partnership and overlap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Which is why, you know, you get to a medical school and you're like, oh, they have departments and they have PhDs here. And there's a lot of things happening that lay folks perhaps are not considering. Yes, I, I make that joke because I I said if I would have known what I knew as a postdoc that I could have applied to a school of medicine for a PhD, that would have been game changer. Yeah. <laughs> Your trajectory might have looked different. Yes. And wouldn't that have been great? <laughs> Okay, I think we've set the stage really well for sort of the transformative power of research experiences. So let's dig a little bit into some of the details that we wanted to get through today. So let's start off with, um, so your role specifically is in the Eberly College of Science here at Penn State. Can you talk a little bit about what that office is and how it serves students? Like how does the work of your office help students who are looking for these sorts of opportunities? Absolutely. So the Office of Science and Science Engagement, we actually have, if you want to think of it, three pillars. Mm-hmm. So there's research, there's um, at abroad, and there is co-ops, internships, and careers. And sometimes students ask, which is better? All three are equal. Not one is better. That's why I'm saying they're pillars mm-hmm. or um, sides of a triangle here that hold up the Office of Science Engagement. So our goal is to get students engaged with things outside the classroom. Research is my primary area, but internships and co-ops are also research at companies. And um, at abroad, you can also either do research or internships abroad as well. So you, there's lots of opportunities to get that out of classroom experience. And what I think is really powerful about that out of classroom experience, as we said earlier, finding what you like, finding what you don't like, honing your skills for your future tra- trajectory. Um, so I think that's what our office is here for, is to give you that support for things outside the classroom. Yeah, we know that those experiences are so, so important. You can have the best grades, best scores, but if you haven't devoted hours to exploring the realities of the world beyond the classroom, you're going to struggle to get schools to see that you're ready. And these experiences help you to not only look ready and communicate that to schools, but for you to also feel ready as an applicant. Undergrad is sort of, for any student, not just a pre-health student, is like a protected time to explore. Mm -hmm. And life almost never gives you that sort of opportunity Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. You have a responsibility to take courses and work towards graduation, but there are these built-in breaks and there are this give in a semester where you need an elective credit of some sort. And that could be achieved through an internship maybe. Mm -hmm. Or by going abroad and you're achieving both your academic goal, but you're also seeing how other people live or how does cross-cultural communication happen or, you know, across different languages. And I, if there's one thing I try to emphasize to parents and students during NSO is that this is what you're about to venture into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you need to know what your resources are mm-hmm. because you're going to have an academic advisor chasing you down every single semester to get you scheduled for your classes. 
but college is a lot more than that. And I think that's where your office basically provides the entire kind of platform for them to launch. Yeah, exactly. You said it perfectly. <laughs> I had a I had an undergrad professor father, so I've been hearing it for several decades. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of students thankfully know that these resources exist. I think that there is especially with our first generation college students, a bit of a fear around doing that outreach to like ask for that help. So if I'm a student, nobody in my family has ever gone to college and I'm like, and my academic advisor, Kimberly has been like, listen, John, you need to schedule. And she helps me schedule with you. What is that first meeting with you look like? That's a great question. The first meeting, I love having the one-on-one meetings because that allows me to tailor it for each student, right? So I'm going to ask you, you know, your year, your major, your interests, because that's going to help me tailor that meeting that we're having. And then I'm really giving you the tools. There's no, unfortunately, Amazon of research here at Penn <laughs> State to like, or Google, like uh-huh. to find it. So I understand and I liken it to finding a needle in a haystack. So I am going to give you the magnets to find those needles, to find those research opportunities. So when you sit down with me, we're going to go over the URFM website. So that's our Undergraduate Research Fellowship and Mentoring website. They have a great database where you can search. Is it comprehensive? No. But what's really good is it's a great first starting place. The other thing is it's pulling research all across campus, as well as the Commonwealth campuses, if that's something that interests you. Um, But it's letting you see what's out there. You can see some of that more clinical, like in our psychology department, but you can see more of that basic research in our departments in our College of Science. But there's also research happening in biobehavioral health, College of Ag engineer every and so it really allows you to kind of see that breadth of research going on on campus the second website i really um highlight to our pre-med majors or anyone who's interested in like biomedical or biological biochemistry research is our huck institute of life sciences they're graduate programs and i always tell students i know i'm like i know we're not we're not here to talk about grad school but i want (laughs) you to find the faculty so the key is always finding the faculty urfm has this great website it has um the faculty listed and their research projects, but that's it. There's nothing else out there that's like that. Huck now, we have to t- kind of take a different approach. We have to go to the grad school there because grad schools are where faculty are who are doing research. They have postdocs and grad students in their lab. They're going to have undergrads. Once again, it takes a team. And they are expecting students with no experience. That's something else I want to highlight, really, too. Students think, I need to have experience. Oh, no, that's why we're here. We are here to give you that experience because we know you didn't get that in high school. This is the perfect training ground for it. Yeah, and in my experience working with students, what I hear is that a lot of faculty are really excited by first years, second years, because they're like... This student has no preconceived notions, and I can train them to be a good member of my lab. And fingers crossed, I can keep them for a while. That retention is so important. (laughs) Yeah, so I always encourage my students. I'm like, I know it sounds scary to start reaching out now as a first semester student, but like... Yeah, home slice, like do it. But you are also located in the same building that we're located in. Yes. So it's like, okay, these are our neighbors, our friendly neighbors downstairs. (laughs) I, whenever I mention your name the first time, I always say Dr. Tiffany Matthews. (laughs) Like she does have a first name in addition to the title and the last name. Like she is a human being. (laughs) You can schedule with her just like you would with me. (laughs) And it doesn't have to be like this like scary protected ivory tower sort of thing you just walk in and you introduce yourself and and you'll take them from there yes and I feel I'm so passionate about it because I was scared too when I first um I didn't I remember distinctly um it was an HHMI program and I talked to the director about it as an undergrad to apply and he kept referring to me as a freshman I was like oh did I read the instructions wrong I'm a second year student like I did not apply and then I found out one of my friends who was also a second year applied and got it and then all the help she had along the way in the research and I was like I was constantly asking 
my friends, like, how do you get into research? What did you do? Like, it was like this whisper network. I was, I was that shyer, quieter student. And there was no one at my university like myself. So I was thinking, I was going to my faculty who I had in classes. They'd be like, hey, are you looking for someone? <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, that's like the sort of natural place to start is like, I know this person, this feels more comfortable and hopefully they'll feel uh, more guilty about telling me no. Feeling comfort and having been told no is a very important skill to build because it's not personal. I think a lot of students take it very personal if they're told no. And we talk about this a lot in the application cycle it's like I haven't heard anything where they told me no and it's like you're still a good candidate you're not the right candidate this cycle for this school you just might not be the right student for this lab this year that doesn't mean that you're not a great candidate to be chosen to be in a research lab just means that that wasn't the right one and I absolutely tell students the same thing don't take it personally um think too like I know that students don't have this background, um, but labs, you know, there's funding behind it. There's a team of people. Maybe they just graduated three grad students and they're taking on four new grad students. They've got to focus their efforts. You know, there's lots of dynamics or maybe they don't have enough hood space. Maybe there's a safety issue. So I always tell students the exact same thing. It's not personal, but I try to give them some insight that there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on. And sometimes I'll put my former faculty hat on that sometimes not responding is easier than saying no, especially if it's a cold email, which we can get into as well. But you made this transition so easy for me. I do want to transition to how do you help coach students on what that outreach looks like? Because yes, cold emails is just a, it's a reasonable approach. But are there other ways that you have seen this work for students? What does that conversation look like? Yeah, so I think there's two things. So the first part I'm going to say, just circling back to what we talked about, is talking to faculty. You also have TAs, teaching assistants, who are grad students. Talk to them. Find out if they have any opportunities. But if it's not in the area of your interest, you know, you are going to have to branch out and do that cold email. And that's not a bad thing. That's a really good thing. And so... What that email is going to look like, I tell students it's going to have three parts. Dear Dr. So-and-so, you know, keep it professional. The first paragraph is, dear Dr. So-and-so, hi, my name is Tiffany Matthews, and I am a second-year biochemistry major looking for undergraduate research. Remember who your audience is. It's faculty. Who are faculty? They are very busy people, (laughs) right? So we want to get their attention right away, letting them know who we are and what we want. That second paragraph is going to be the tailored one. Just like your medical school applications, just like your undergrad applications, you want to make that faculty member feel feel special. You want to make them feel that you've read their website, you've looked at their research. Going back to what you said earlier, Kimberly, too, that you're interested, that you're curious, that you're not just checking a box. I, when I was a faculty member and students would email me about like doing lab work and then they put in like, I want to join your lab because you do organic synthesis. I'm like, you didn't look at my research page. You didn't see what I was doing. I was actually offended. Um, You didn't take the time. You probably copied and pasted for 10 Mm -hmm. faculty in chemistry and thought we all did organic synthesis. That went to the triage. I I just didn't even have a response to that, right? So tailor it. Going back to, I don't have experience, highlight curiosity, highlight enthusiasm. Those are the things. It doesn't have to be a long essay, three to Mm -hmm. five sentences in that paragraph. What interests you in their lab? Is it something you've heard about in a class or is it a lab where you're doing um, RT-PCR and you want to learn more about that and combining it with disease states? or models, you know, highlight that enthusiasm and that curiosity, then close it off. Um, You'll find it attached to my resume or CV. So CV is just a fancy name for us academics using a kind of standard form for a resume. Um, Find attached to my resume or CV. I look forward to hearing from you and setting up a meeting to learn more about undergraduate research opportunities in your lab. Mm -hmm. Sincerely. I'm thinking people don't really get into research as a career if they don't have enthusiasm and excitement (laughs) for it. And so when you get a really generic email, you're like, why would I 
bring this person in or respond because they clearly have no passion for the work. And this isn't about, this isn't work that you just go in as a little worker bee and just drone away. I mean, there is sort of droning away <laughs> elements, but it's because you have such a deep seated passion for the subject that you're studying. And that subject too does not have to be exactly in pre-health. It could be in another area. Um, we've got lots of research. And I'll just give a quick example. I know she's not a pre-health student, but I have a statistics student doing research in architectural engineering because she was interested in the AI component and the statistical modeling to do that. So expand, right? If you have a passion, maybe it's robotics, maybe it's the tinkering, you know, look at some folks in the College of Engineering. It doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. in your exact area or field. Right. Yeah. I mean, we have students who are going into to the medical anthropology lab because they're like, you know, they can see how this sort of like evolution and what we learn from the past influences how we go about things in the present and the future. And they suddenly get excited. And I'm like, yes, like medicine doesn't doesn't have to be just about what's published, you know, in the most recent like JAMA. (laughs) Like there's so much to this and we wouldn't know what we know now if we weren't, you know, learning about what happened in the past. And they're like, oh, right. That's completely different than like, (laughs) you know, pipetting or something. Yeah. I also encourage my students, like if you're not getting sort of success in the areas where you're like perhaps most passionate, explore things that just sound interesting. Just 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 having like base research skills helps to translate to later experiences. I had a student that studied bee behavior in what is that entomology? Entomology. Yes, I'm not an idiot today. Um, But they did that and they were like, this was so fascinating to me. I wasn't like super thrilled or excited or compelled, but I fell in love with the art of the science behind it. And I realized that that was what was really attracting me to it. It wasn't, I necessarily wasn't passionate about studying bees the rest of my life. But now I know that like when I go to, you know, reach out about this research lab at the school that I want to go to, that I have some base skills that are translational. And that that student happened to do quite well in that application cycle because they understood everything as transferable and translational. Absolutely. And going back to that email, I tell students, find at least 10 faculty. I know that sounds like a pretty high number, but find at least 10 faculty that you can write that email to. The nice thing is that first and third paragraph are copy and paste. It's that middle one. Take the time, you know, tailor it. I tell students 10... email 10 faculty because I kind of go off the 10% rule. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you might only hear 10 per- from 10%. That means one person. I also tell students to diversify. When mm-hmm. students focus just on one department, I that's where they come to me where I, I've struck out. I've emailed everyone in such and such a department and nobody's gotten back to me or no one's responded. And the minute we kind of look at those broader things, like looking at the Huck grad programs and the faculty that we can find in like the cancer bio or Um, neuroscience, you know, areas that they're interested, all of a sudden, you know, they're looking at faculty all across campus and not putting their eggs in one basket Mm -hmm. or one department, and their success rate goes up. Sometimes they get, you know, two or three, quote unquote, interviews talking to faculty, and then they come back to me and like, what do I do now? And I'm like, this is a great thing. You get to make a choice now. It's like with medical schools, like you can tailor your entire applicant to one institution, and that's like great, but you've put all of your cycle eggs in that single basket. And that makes you look on paper like a less good applicant for other institutions. So same concept, different application. (laughs) All right. So is there anything else about the more like traditional academic year research opportunity search conversation that you want to have? Because I do want to transition to talking about summer, but I want to make sure that we wrap this one up nice and tight. Those are the big ones. There's some more specific things at Penn State if you want to get paid. Um, you could always look on Penn State's Workday to find mm. research op- opportunities, paid opportunities, either work study or people are sometimes just looking for lab assistants. Might just start off washing dishes, but once again, it might be that you're like, ooh, I really like what this lab is doing. Um, or I also want to just highlight um, at Penn State our student engagement network. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another great way to get paid to do research 
during the academic year or we can transition to the summer as yeah. well with that. But I like to highlight those programs. Um, also, I will be offering a course this spring called uh -huh. SC100, Intro to Research. And the whole goal is for you to get into a research lab. Um, and the libraries offer a program called Undergraduate Jumpstart, yeah. both during the fall semester and the spring semester. Applications are due pretty early in the semester, but it's open to any student to apply. And same thing. The goal is to help them find that research opportunities. I had no idea that that was starting. So that's just like a awesome. <laughs> B, I hope what's coming across is that at Penn State, we do really value this opportunity for students and we want to make this feel more accessible. It can feel like an iceberg to climb and it does not have to be you do not have to climb it by yourself, right? Yes. Yes. Science is done as a team. Finding these opportunities can also be done as a team. Utilize your academic advisor, pre-health advising, the Office of Science Engagement to help you climb this iceberg. I hope that has come across. I think it has. Yeah. And the library. Yeah, There's just, the library does a wild amount of things. It They do a lot. And I think most students are like, that's where all the books are. <laughs> I'm like, that's a very small portion of what the library does, but okay. There's such a big difference between science students mm -hmm. and like liberal arts, mm -hmm. t different disciplines within liberal arts students that are social sciences that as a liberal arts, social science student always just like strikes me as kind of funny. I'm like, you know that there's this huge institution that like kind of this place that kind of anchors your university, right? It's called the library. <laughs> and they have connections to thousands of other libraries um, and resources that you could never get your hands on by yourself. Like, you know, maybe you learn something in your lab that you want to kind of follow up on and you go to some of those journals and databases out there that are directed specifically towards the kinds of subjects that we sort of tackle over in the sciences and mm -hmm. you had no idea that all of that was available through subscriptions that the library is managing for you as students and you know everybody else affiliated yeah, we'd like to clarify that this is not a commercial for the university library. <laughs> could be. It could be. They should pay I us. I mean, you know, <laughs> students really should know that, like, you can access PubMed. Yeah. You don't have to wait until you go to medical school to go look mm -hmm. at PubMed and see, like, what mm -hmm. doctors are referencing on a day-to-day -day mm -hmm. basis. You could do that right now, and you don't even have to go to the library. You can just go to the library on the, their website on your own computer from your dorm room or wherever you're living, and you have instant access. Mm -hmm. Love that. <laughs> the resources of Penn State. <laughs> okay, so I agree. I think we've done a good job of talking about these more traditional research experiences that we think about. I want to transition to talking about summer because this is like – there are so many things, and so I want to start to tackle them because there's a lot of really cool options, and I would say like 80% of them students writ large don't know about. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about the specific summer programs that your office <laughs> works through first mm -hmm. because I think most students have not heard of them, and yeah. it is a travesty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Office of Science Engagement, we actually have a program called, because we're at Penn State, we love our acronyms, mm -hmm. ECOSURE, so Everly College of Science, Summer Undergraduate Research Experience. So we want that to roll off the tongue pretty nicely. Mm -hmm. It is open to any Penn State College of Science student. Um, and... It is an opportunity to work here at Penn State over the summer for about nine weeks in a lab for 40 hours a week. So, right, it's a full-time job, and we pay you. It comes out of my budget. Mm -hmm. Your faculty member loves this because, quote-unquote, you are free. You are getting paid, but it's not coming out of their budget. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's a bunch of small businesses here at a university. <laughs> um, but we pay you to do research over the summer, we also do professional development. So we have seminars on LinkedIn, resume writing, imposter syndrome. We have um, alumni come back and talk about their experiences in the workforce. Um, but we 
Because we're taking College of Science students, that means we have from astro to stats um, if we, and all the majors in between, we, we try to keep it very general for them. We, we focus on your communication skills, um, things that can apply to any major. Um, we also do some fun team building stuff. Um, the first week we do a lot of team building because we have about 20 students and for most of the time, we only see one another once a week. So we do some team building. So we do some balloon cha- challenge, uh, balloon tower challenges. We also went out um, to Shavers Creek this fall and did the high ropes course, which was amazing. Um, and then at the end of the summer, they cap it off with a poster presentation um, with students all across campus that have been here for the summer to talk about their research. This summer, we had over 110 students present their research just that they did here at Penn State over the summer. These included Penn State students and Penn, and students who were not affiliated with Penn State. Mm-hmm. But yes, so we pay about $4,800 for about nine weeks of research. I'm hoping to get that up. I'm going to keep my quote at the what we were last year, um, <laughs> but just a great opportunity. The only caveat is, once again, going back to everything we just talked about, you have to find that research faculty member. Um, and the reason for that is, is because you are a student here at Penn State. We want you to find the things you're interested and passionate about and work in that lab. Um, so we, we think of this as like the carrot when you're talking to a faculty member who might be on the fence or might not know. And the great thing um, is applications will open December-ish and close mid-February, around February 15th, okay. February 20th. So students have time. What's interesting about that time in particular is like, you know, we work with a lot of students that are applying to research programs at other institutions. Almost all of their deadlines are February 1. Mm. So you actually have more time to apply to those yes. than other programs. And so Which let me make sure I understand correctly mm-hmm. for everyone else out there listening, because it's a carrot. Mm-hmm. They're accepted into the program first you s- or they say to this yeah, research Okay. Yeah, you should, when you're going and talking to your faculty member, you should say, I'd like to apply to this program. We only have 20 slots, so it is a competitive program. So, but once again, it's also, you know, the secret also is, right, I'm going to say this on air, is also look at the students out there and talking to faculty. Like, we use it as a carrot for the faculty, but also kind of as a carrot for the students to get out there and talk to faculty. We don't do the matching. If we were, I know we'll talk about other summer programs where sometimes the matching is done for you because you're a Penn State student and we'd like this to be a long-term relationship in the lab, not just the nine weeks when you come back in the fall to continue working with them or this and the spring that you find the opportunity but you can talk to them about applying and it doesn't matter if you're outside of the college of science doing your research like anthropology as you were talking about earlier kimberly they we support the student so even if they're not accepted they could still end up with a role in a lab yes but it's not going to be funded through your office but they're still getting that opportunity to do research that they were originally Mm -hmm. looking for And we hope to actually expand it where we fund a certain number of students, but anyone can join our program. You don't have to be funded. If you want those professional development and you want to feel part of a community over a summer, the summer here at Penn State, you are more than welcome to join. So um, you can still take advantage of that high ropes course and presenting at the poster sessions and things like that in our weekly seminars. That is awesome. Also, a quick plug for the high ropes course. Any opportunity to go. It is so fun. Yeah, we always walk past them, and I always, well, I don't particularly wish, but people that I'm walking with wish that they could be on them. Yeah, I used to work in residence life many moons ago, and we went every fall with the RAs on the staff, and uh, that was a fun day. I just had fun on the ground. I didn't even go up. I was the one taking the pictures. Uh Yeah, I can live vicariously and watch other people and feel equally thrilled. Yeah. My favorite is like you can either do like a zip line at the end or there's something there's a free fall plummet where like you jump off and it catches you about halfway down. I've done both. I will tell you, I felt better about the zip line (laughs) emotionally. Yeah, I've got no emotions connected to any of this. It's just a physical reaction. (laughs) I have worked with a lot of students just straight up terrified of heights and I'm like, it'll be fine. 
mine. They're like, it's not mine. <laughs> yeah. But oh, anyway, that was a quick aside. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we sort of teased that, like, yes, we have this wonderful program, and it has some very cool benefits, but it's not the only summer research program. And I'm sure a lot of students will come to you and ask about them. What do those conversations look like with the, with students? Because, you know, we help students with the application materials because we love working with on application materials. It's like our bread and butter. But what does that look like on your end? Um, first, I want to say it was this is prime time. So especially mm-hmm. if you want internships right now for a company, this is the time to be looking. So October to give folks a time frame. Give the, if you're looking in academia, give us academics October and November to recoup from summer and fall starting. Mm-hmm. December is typically when applications start to open. And this is NSF, National Science Foundation, REUs, Research Experience for Undergrads. Mm-hmm. So once again, another paid experience by the federal government. But these are individual schools. So the government gives out the money to schools and programs, and they run these REUs. Um, So great way. Those are typically 10 weeks. I just heard um, NSF is paying $6,000 to $6,500 for the summer. Your housing is included, and travel is paid for. Tell students all you're paying for is the food and fun. those REUs typically do much more of the matching process. I know I should go back and be an undergrad. Start fresh. <laughs> I know. Um, so I really like to highlight the NSF. Um, so they have everything from biochemistry to educational, math, statistics, you know, anything under NSF's umbrella. Too, if you want to search the REU, and I can give you guys the stuff for the show notes on the links yeah. for these, you can even search NSF for like, Maybe you want to go to California this summer. You can look at all the schools and the REU programs in California. Um, So you can also, you can search by keywords or you can search by state as well. That's the nice thing with the federal government. The only criteria for the federal government ones is you have to be a U.S. citizen. Mm. That's the only requirement. Once again, no experience is needed. Um, NIH has a program. So National Institutes of Health has a program at their facility. Um, And once again, I can provide that link um, for that one. Um, The Big Ten has an SROP program, so Summer Research um, Opportunity Program. I highlight that because it's Big Ten. Most time mm-hmm. we think football or basketball with Big Ten, but we are also an academic conference. This gives you eight weeks to do research at one of these institutions. Um, I'm happy to walk through. There's a lot of nuance there, but I'm happy to walk through students um, with that one. Um, AAMC also has a website mm-hmm. with all like the medical schools as well. Plenty of opportunities, but now is really kind of like the time, like almost pregame. Start to look, see what's out there. Doesn't matter if the website's updated or not. You can start to build that list. These applications are free, so apply to as many as you are interested and want to, because they are also competitive. Mm -hmm. For example, for my chemistry REU here at Penn State, that is typically, we get over 100 applications for 10 spots. So once again, you know. Yeah, we keep hitting this 10% rule. Yeah, 10% rule, yes. Um, So those are kind of the national ones, but, and I can give you, there's a few other websites, once again, to to find these opportunities. Once again, there's not a one-stop shop, but different websites will tell you different things. For our Penn State students, not only is there EcoSure, but there's the Erickson Discovery Grant. Also, once again, where you have to have identified the faculty member that you're going to work for. and Erickson gives you some money to to do the research here, either at Pet, here at the University Park or one of our Commonwealth campuses. It's open to anyone. So, you know, look at the different options. And I always tell students, just apply to as many as you are interested in, mm-hmm. um, because that's just going to increase your odds. Yeah. And if you're a Schreier student, there are additional opportunities. There's additional money available mm-hmm. to help fund a lot of these things. Um, and then also, if you're like an, if you're thinking maybe MD PhD, they have this wonderful MD PhD program that's ex- explicitly for Schreier students at the Penn State College of Medicine. So. You're dripping in opportunities if you want to do this. Absolutely. And I also want to say, 
I want students to also value themselves. These opportunities, majority of them are paid. Um, So really, right, you're not in classes. You're not during the academic year. Like, get those opportunities that are going to pay you. Um, And, I mean, NSF has done a really nice job with bumping up that salary. Um, And then when you're not paying for housing either and your travel's covered, it's it's a sweet deal. (laughs) It makes it very accessible for a lot of students. You know, we're also going to highlight like a very specific program called uh, some people call it SPEP. Some people call it SHPEP. It's well, the name changed like three years ago by like one initial. So, <laughs> so you <laughs> it used know. to be easier to <laughs> say. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to have some students talk about mm-hmm. it. This is another summer research experience with some other stuff involved in it. And we're going to touch on that with some students who have participated in a future episode. So we don't need to go into detail on that one. And we will have Joel come as well to talk about at abroad, which has its own Um, abroad research and internship opportunities apart from taking courses. Yes. So, yes, many, many opportunities. Um, And actually, John, to go back to what you were originally asking with the question, so apply to as many as possible. Start to put together your list of faculty who are going to write these letters of recommendation. Letters of recommendation are key. And remember, I'm sure you guys tell students this, but it's Mm -hmm. worth repeating. Ask for a strong and favorable letter of recommendation. Mm -hmm. Can't emphasize that enough. (laughs) You will almost never get to a point in your life where you won't need to call on someone to speak for you so this isn't a uniquely like junior senior year of undergrad sort of thing Mm -hmm. learn how to do it now (laughs) i was telling students like that relationship should be strong enough that in 10 years you can call that person and have a conversation and they look at me like i'm crazy i'm like no i guarantee you right now if i called the person who write my wrote my letter of recommendation for what i did after grad school they would be so thrilled to have a conversation and catch up. Mm-hmm. That's the strength that you're looking for. And when you're so, just starting out, that's not going to be, but you're going to cultivate that over time. Absolutely. So I just want to make that call out, you know, read those application instructions. You know, that some are different. Some do want you to match. I feel like most I see are matching where you're listing the faculty. If they ask, list the people that you work for. If they don't, you know, you could always reach out and email them. I know some programs do it a little bit differently, but be prepared. Get your transcripts ready. Ask for those letters of rec. You know, even if it's just giving them that heads up in November of saying, hey, I'm thinking of applying to summer programs and those applications will open up in December, January. Just giving us that heads up really helps. Now, is this, are these the sort of applications also that require some sort of personal statement, interest statement? I would say I think most of us have gotten away from a personal statement, but there's essays. So some sort of personal personal, element. But yeah, we prompt them with specific questions like, why do you want to join this program? What do you hope to gain from this program? When you're reading those, what are you looking for? I am looking for that curiosity and enthusiasm. Once again, Mm -hmm. I'm also looking for students who have said, you know, I've missed experiences or I haven't had this experience. I'm also looking for students who've had that. But if a student has missed it, you know, I'm also looking for that. But that curiosity and that enthusiasm, and it's really that enthusiasm too, right? With professional development and things like that. Or maybe they're coming from, if I put my REU hat on and they're coming from a small school, I haven't had the opportunity to do research at like an R1. So Mm -hmm. really, Really, you know, it it once again is drawing that reader in. I'm reading over a hundred applications. You've got to catch my attention and not be like, I've liked science since I was six years old. Psh. I- <laughs> Everybody can say that. Yes. Everybody can say that. What is unique to your story that nobody else can say? Yes. And unique and relevant more like now in yes. the present. Um, today. Yes. So, um, absolutely. That's what I would say that I'm looking for and answering the questions. When I say I want three faculty members, I want to see three faculty. And to me, it doesn't matter if they're all in the same area or different, um, you know, but give me some reasoning behind that. And I'm not, once again, I'm not looking for a novel, but get things concisely down, but not so short that I'm like, well, are they really interested? Like it's, it's that balance. Well-structured. Mm-hmm. detailed 
but still concise. Yes. And I think this is so helpful for people to hear because so often when you haven't been through a process like this before, any sort of essay question can be really daunting because you turn it into this mountain that you have to climb when Mm -hmm. really it's just like if your mom was asking or if your best friend was like, hey, what do you think you might do this summer? It's exactly what you would say to them. Exactly. But when you get in front of a professional who you think is going to judge you in some way, then suddenly Mm. you forget every word and, you know, sort of phrasing that you ever came up with. Yeah. One of the pieces of advice I give for this is to talk to a friend or family member and record what you say to them. Yes. What are the big pieces that you're like, ooh, this was really important. That should appear in that essay somewhere, right? So it's fine to just talk this through, talk it through with someone that you're not going to be like, and in antithesis to my previous experiences. <laughs> like, no, but that's not fun to read. Oh. It's like, have you used antithesis right in this situation? Like, why are we using this word? We don't need to be throwing thesauruses at this. <laughs> no. Is that the correct no. Yes. Plural of thesaurus. Oh. Oh. Well, I, mean, I don't really know we're Latin probably just going to use one, so I would just go with singular. You don't need to toss a thesaurus at this bad boy. <laughs> it's not – that's not going to help you. Um, okay. I want to sort of like do one last pivot. Mm-hmm. So let's say I'm a first-generation student and I'm expected to work like 20 hours a week. Adding research onto my schedule while maintaining a full credit load, that's just like – not possible or maybe I didn't realize that this is something I wanted to do until like the fall of my senior year maybe incorporating research into my undergrad no longer makes real sense to me Mm -hmm. or to the faculty that I would work with so for students that are sort of looking for that post-baccalaureate experience how can your office help them because I don't think that students always know that you will give them advice and guidance here. I think that they feel like they're on their own because it's after. Yes, we will absolutely talk to them about post-bac opportunities. And you bring up a great point, John, too. Like, I've seen it where students are too busy or they they realize, like, almost too late in the game and it's not enough time in that senior year. Yeah. Taking a gap year or a growth year is a great opportunity, It's go- especially if you didn't get that chance. And so usually when I'm talking to students with that, I'm asking, you know, do you want to stay here at Penn State? Because we have lots of research tech positions going back to work day and, and finding those. And I tell students, now this is where you've got to look at the economics, mm-hmm. right? The economy's pretty hot right now. So, you know, you don't need to apply six months out because they really want someone in their lab like in the next month or two, right? So you're going to keep it closer to graduation, you know, Mm -hmm. but you can still be looking on workday and seeing what's out there and and getting a sense. My second question is, or do you want to go back home? Because some students want to go back home, save some money. So where is home? Do you want to work at a research institution or like a school of medicine? So we then look at those and look, find, you know, the employment options there. And so really, you know, just understanding how academia does it is a great way. But if there's industry near you, working in industry is as equivalent as working in academia. I also tell students, you don't have to tell that employer that you're only going to stay there a year. Go in with the mindset that this is, you know, your career. You don't want to be like, I'm only going to work here with you for nine months. You're not going to probably get the job, right? But many of us know in academia, research techs, that's often that jumping or that launch pad mm-hmm. to get into a PhD program or med school. They they want to take that break. I I am very serious when I tell students, students often ask, what's my big regret of grad school? I wish I took a break. I was burnt out and it showed my first year. Um, And I think also just having, once again, those skill sets, learning new skills, working with new teams, making some real money, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, maybe living at home with mom and dad for a year and banking that money. So I had a little bit more of a savings instead of a negative savings (laughs) going into grad school. Um, But yeah, we talk about, you know, where is it that you're looking at? Some students also tell me they want to look at um, post-bac, like, master's programs, like one year where maybe they take some classes, get their GPA up a little, and maybe have some research. So we we focus in on some of those. There's plenty of those out there. It does cost money, um, and I'm not trying to trivialize that, but, you know, it— 
I have that authentic conversation with each student because I knew each student is looking for something different. So, yeah. And that, yeah, that doesn't mean it has to be the right fit for you. There's lots of other opportunities that are for that same population where there isn't a cost associated, Mm -hmm. right? Or there's scholarships available and you can apply to those, see what the offer looks like and accept it or turn it down based on Mm -hmm. what it looks like. These places when they give you an offer that is not you having to accept it you do not have to accept every single opportunity that is presented in front of you you are not yes people you are does this work for me people hopefully right and you know last spring we um we Gosh, that was not that long ago now that I really think about it. Uh, You worked with our office quite a bit on doing a wonderful series of sessions around MD-PhD, but also a really great session on the NIH IRTA program, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how your office of you (laughs) supports those applicants into that sort of because we help those students too but i think that like your perspective is so helpful to those students and i don't know that they always know that they can work with you yes we are i am happy to work with them i'm happy to read kind of going back what you said earlier happy to like talk things out or read the personal statements and give feedback back on those um so i also tell students like or sometimes it's like it's a really rough draft or it's a big outline maybe with some gaps filled in and we sit down and talk and walk through and i love that idea of recording which i should just tell students let's record this conversation because then i sometimes they're they feel like they they're putting everything out there that it's so diffuse and that Mm -hmm. we have to like narrow it down so what are you honing in on for those applications Mm -hmm. so yeah I'm there to help and like kind of read between the lines and give them that insight because you know I've sat on interview committees but I also sit on like you know the REU and like our Mm -hmm. eco sure and like looking at applications so depending on what you're looking for you know we can sit down and I can give you some insight um, into that process and what they're looking for and I would say for the applying for postback as well like any type of job you know same thing don't put all of your eggs in one basket you know apply to a lot of different places apply to different even if it's one school apply to different departments Mm -hmm. um you don't know what you're gonna get like going back to that b story that you were talking about earlier yeah i had a student that all of their research experience in undergrad was in um, biobehavioral health and it was like around like small behavioral changes and how that impacted other stuff she ended up getting a job at and we use we base we always use she pronouns she her pronouns so people hopefully don't know who we're talking about so she (laughs) um she ended up getting a job in clinical research um in a transplant lab And she wasn't sure how she could realistically contribute, but she learned through like, you know, getting caught up on the the literature, lung transplants have one of the highest reject rates Mm -hmm. and it's one of the hardest transplants to, to like keep going. And so we're not really sure why that happens. And so she's like, well, maybe there's like small behavioral changes that people make around exercise or nutrition that have impacts Mm -hmm. on the success rate of you know that organ matching and so in her one year career you know doing that before starting med she went to medical school she got to like put that as like a like she designed a battery of questions that got implemented into the standard array of question asking for that lab and now she has actual data around that so cool so neat now i don't understand the technical side of that at all but she does and that was like one of the big things that really helped her in her application cycle so you know things don't always have to be that Pickety perfect stuff. Yes. Explore all of the things. Apply in multiple places because you will find that your perspective is going to be valued. Exactly. And I also, now that you're saying that clinical coordinators, I know like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll take students like depending on, you know, where home is or what they want to look at. Like if we were looking at a school of medicine, I'm like, I highlight those research tech positions because they're they're always open. Mm -hmm. There always seems to be a lot of them. But like the clinical coordinator ones like Mm -hmm. and look because 
yeah, you know, maybe you're now at that translational part of seeing how like a drug and clinical phase three is going to, you know, be working and things like that. So really, you know, just be looking out at those and even just finding research. And I think this is true with post um, back information as well. Like if you know this is something that's on your radar, you know, take an hour a day. You know, you need to take a break from classes and studying. We know you need that downtime. Um, I know you can watch Netflix as well, but, you know, <laughs> we also always have our devices on as well. So take that and just start kind of looking just an hour a day. Set the timer because you can get down that rabbit hole real quick and be mm-hmm. like, this is so much fun. <laughs> but if you're just doing it daily and kind of looking, okay, maybe up today I'll do my hour here at Penn State. Uh, what are the research opportunities? Okay. And tomorrow might be, what are the research opportunities at home? Um or maybe you've got some family that you can live with if we're talking like about a post-bac program that, you know what, I really want to check out California or I really want to go to North Carolina or I really want to be in New York City. You know, look at those areas. And if you're struggling finding those schools or processes, you know, come and talk to me. I, I don't know everything, but, you know, we can start to figure out. I've talked to students who live in that greater New York metro area, right? Are you interested in living in New Jersey or New York? Or, mm-hmm. you know, there's lots of opportunities. Don't feel like there's any any door shut. There's plenty of opportunities out there. Okay. I think we're getting to the end. We're hitting about an hour, which is great. <laughs> um, so are there any sort of like last minute pieces of advice or encouragements? If you want to just like give like a pump up of like, you can do this. What is sort of like the, the last thing that you want to make sure that you communicate to our wonderful listeners. Oh, this is great. You absolutely can do it. You have so many resources here at Penn State. The Pre-Health Advising Office, myself and Office of Science Engagement, as well as Dustin and Joel. Like, we are here to help you. Just think of us as those cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. We are silently behind you, cheering and pumping you up. Um, and the one thing I did forget earlier that I want to just highlight, going back to those um, letters of recommendation, gratitude. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can end yeah. on gratitude real quick. Yes. When you ask someone, we we are your champions, we are your cheerleaders, we want to help you, we want to see you succeed in all of these different areas. It doesn't matter if it's six months or nine months later, let us know what happened, mm-hmm. whether you got in or you didn't or which one you selected. And if you didn't get in, let us know. Um, use your network. Yeah. But by highlighting that gratitude just makes us feel really good because we spend a lot of time Mm -hmm. when I write letters and rec, they are personal. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and I need the block time and I need to start blocking time this month because mine are building for um, the NSF um, graduate research fellowship applications, but it just helps us. It makes us feel good. Um, There's a lot sometimes sad that's going on in academia or bad news. Getting that email, whether it's six or nine months later, like will turn Mm -hmm. my frown upside down and like, you know, just inspire me to champion more and cheer harder for the students out there that are looking for these opportunities. Yeah, there are students that we'll probably spend 20 hours with helping them through a cycle. And like I, this past year, I got the first person that like snail mailed me a picture of them in their white coat. And I cried in the freaking hallway (laughs) because it like, it was so touching to me. Like I get thank you emails all the time, but like I actually, that's a lie. I do not get them all the time. I will with relative frequency (laughs) uh, get some thank you emails here and there. But I've never had someone, like, send me that picture before. And that was, like, a really powerful moment of, like, she's there, man. She, like, did the thing. And that was, like, a it was a powerful moment because she worked really hard. Yeah. It is not easy for stu- for every student. For some students, yeah, they get lucky. It's a little bit easier. This student did not have a, have a lot of luck. They worked really hard and they got great results because of their hard work. And, you know, it's always wonderful when we get to like share in that because mm-hmm. I didn't do the hard work. Yeah, I helped you make sure that your hard work was going to be of value and like do something for you. But I didn't do any of that hard work you did. Mm-hmm. 
And I love getting to see the results of your hard work. That's the thing. We want to see the results. We want to see where you're at and what you're doing because it just, it lights us up, right? We are literally <laughs> proud of you. <laughs> yes. We I am proud. I am. If I was a peacock, my goodness, my <laughs> tail would just be slamming the walls of my office because I am so proud of my students on a regular basis. Okay. I think we've sort of hit the end. Kimberly, is there anything that you want to sort of toss out there? I don't think so. Yeah, I think we've hit that, like, this is an accessible thing for you if you want this. Yes. It's a matter of what that journey to it looks like. Your journey does not let, need to look like everybody else's. This is a common thread on this <laughs> podcast is that your journey is yours. And so we want to thank you for spending the time listening to this. I hope that this is a good starting point for a lot of you who want to go on this journey. Remember that there is a you know, there's a ton of people that want to help support you in this. You do not need to go through it alone. Please reach out, know your resources, look in the show notes. There's going to be lots of links down there. This is going to be the most linked uh, episode ever, but that's going to be so great. Thank you for joining us this week on the Pre-Health Podcast. The Penn State Pre-Health Podcast is a production of the Pre-Health Advising Office in the Everly College of Science at Penn State University. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Pre-Health Advising Team. The views, opinions, and advice shared during this podcast are those of the hosts and any guests only and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution or for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre-health students across our university system. Our intro music is This Science by Coma Media, and our outro music is Screening, also by Coma Media. <laughs> <laughs>